And now, beautiful people going fast on fire. Welcome to the True Fiction Podcast, Kino Club Edition. Welcome to True Fiction's Kino Club Edition. What is Kino Club? A group of film lovers get together and watch a film. Then we meet after and break down what we saw. This is a warts and all recording where we share the good, bad, and ugly. And there will be spoilers, so be warned. This meeting, we review the 1967 racially charged drama In the Heat of the Night. It's the story of a black police detective who was asked to investigate a murder in a racially hostile southern town. This movie won five Oscar awards and was turned into a successful television series. Without further ado, Kino Club discuss In the Heat of the Night. In the Heat of the Night. What do you guys think? Well, I'm going to wait until I hear everyone else's opinion. <laughs> uh, for the Sydney Poitier series. Of course, now we have to watch They Call Me Mr. Tibbs, the sequel to this. That's funny. I thought that because that's what he says in this movie. So is he play, yeah. does he play the same part? He's a, Yeah, the same character. Oh, now, is, that, is that in Philadelphia then? Or is that yeah. back yeah, in? Yeah. Okay, back in Sparta. Good. So... I, I guess I'll go first since uh, everybody wants to sit back and 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 pull, point the gun in case somebody mis, mis, made a mistake. But uh, I I, uh, uh, I watched it with Megan. Her first comment was, "Well, uh, the plot was something you know was pretty standard." And my I, I sort of agree with that. But uh, the title performances were uh, off the charts for me. Uh, I think. Um, both Sidney Portier and uh, Rod Steiger are amazing actors. And there's other good performances in it. And there's some deeper nuggets in there, kind of like uh, Guess Who's Coming to Dinner? Oh, yeah. uh, that I, I was just like, oh, this will make you think. This will make you think. So, for and, and I dug the Quincy Jones music. Yeah. So I was, I would say that I was really impressed thinking back on it now as Norbert was talking and stuff, what I was really impressed, of course, there's the, there's the major arc of the, the racial divide, but there was also some interesting um, other social divides built into this, right? There was the rich and the poor, the white, the, or the white privileged, the white underprivileged, the, uh, the black rich, the black I don't know, Rich, but Sidney Portier definitely represented that, you know, and then meeting with the underprivileged, you know, and they're just like, he's like, I'll get a hotel, you know, and they're like, <laughs> yeah, he's going to stay with us, you know, and it was just that kind of just the, the interesting layered, those were subtle, those were, those were really downplayed, actually, they weren't downplayed at all, but they were subtle, they weren't the point, right, and, and I think that helped drive, drive the whole point of the larger arc of, of, uh, disparity home that was that was kind of cool so yeah the the contrast and, and playing against type in some way because tibbs was I, I don't know what the best way to say it is affluent and he you could tell you know rod steiger is obviously picking up oh you look down on us there was the the moment where they did he say you're just like us is that what that's he said? that's my favorite that's the, he, to me the best like, pivot yeah because it's like holy cow this guy this guy has the same issues I do. This guy has, you know, hates rich people as much as I do. You know, it's just, that was really, really, that was, and, and then Sidney Portier just being stunned, like, 
what what just happened you know and that was that was telling how was this received originally i mean i i know it's 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 probably in the amc top 100 or whatever but what was his initial reception in you know the late 60s people loved it not so much in the south i was, I was gonna say, say <laughs> mississippi, part of mississippi maybe not it played well not quite as well how californians yeah, feel about it the demographic there wasn't too hot on it but <laughs> otherwise it was uh pretty damn well received mm. it was you know go ahead pat i want to hear what no you, go you, ahead i you guys keep talking well i think Michael and Norbert both kind of nailed it. The the complexity, I mean, you could just watch the movie, but there's so many layers of complexity built within it. There's story within a story. There's, as, as you say, the, um, the almost trite murder that they're trying to solve. But I didn't think it was that trite, but it was, I, I think that whole role as, and then, um, you look at the story of the overt racism that's pre- prevalent throughout between the well-to-do blacks and the, the the poor blacks in the movie, and then there's the dynamic of the white trash, if you sure. will, yeah. in their little world and their resentment against rich and powerful, plus the resentment against any black person, much less an affluent black person. So, I mean, there's so many complex stories going on in this. And you can pick any one of them out and rewatch the movie and say, I'm going to follow this story a little bit more closely. And then, you know, the, the pregnancy of the girl is a whole nother story within a story. Um, and, and so I think, you know, the editing and the, the writing on it was absolutely, you know, the screenplay was brilliant to pull all of that together so that it worked. And, you know, and as you say, the, the performances by uh, Rod Stein, it still movies, you know, I oh, at least three times four and again. And just because and um it almost looking at it, it seems rather um I mean there was as far as I'm concerned, there was no whatsoever. That's how it was. Uh, one and even as a, a six-year-old seven-year-old in those times i was so aware of that racial divide in the south i mean we had a black babysitter for when we got out of school and the the difference in behavior was what you see in that movie so you know there's everything about the movie is so spot on it's just it's um i don't know it it's kind of um it was a landmark at the time much the same as guess who's coming to dinner one of the things that for me is as i as I was watching it, I sort of, I liked the contrast between the two title characters. Steiger was always chomping on a piece of gum and, and he was chomping on it quickly. Chomping, chop, 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 nervous, chop, chop, nervous energy. Yeah. Nervous energy. And Sidney Portier. Ex- and that was one of the things that even when they was, you know, threatening to arrest him and all those sort of things, even when they was, he was back down into that, you know, those, those, those kids was going to fight him. He still was on some level composed. He was thinking through a a situation and trying to react. So I I found that interesting. Just the, the putting those two characters together 
I just wonder how much of it was Steiger, because I haven't watched too many of his, his films, trying to play that nervous energy up to contrast against Portier or whether he just, that was his sort of natural bearing. You know, the movies that you could tell influenced that director and writer. I feel like this movie was a substantial influence musically for Tarantino. He, it had this sort of eclectic feel to the music. It was uh, different genres, and, and it just made me think a little bit like I could see Tarantino being very influenced by the musical choices that uh, Quincy Jones made in this movie. Yeah, I, I think, you know, what you're hearing there is the genius of Quincy Jones. I mean, I, I don't know, a lot of people don't really appreciate how far ranging and how influential Quincy Jones has been in so many different genres. I mean, look what he did with Michael Jackson, for God's sake. Uh, Michael Jackson wouldn't have done shit without Quincy Jones. And... Um, there was a lot of, I noticed it was what I'll call these days perspective of, you know, Sidney Poitier or um, the, the original, the original fugitive that they were chasing. Mm-hmm. I, I, I kind of doubt, I wonder if that was a response to some new steady cam stuff that they had going on. And so they were able to do, they were able to move these cameras around a little more than they had in the past like that, because I don't feel like they were, you know, cutting tables in half, you know, from like Citizen Kane or they didn't cut a car in half. It really felt like we were in that car when he was like, it showed him rubbing the the seat, you know, with the blood and the, you know, different things like that. I thought that was kind of cool too. Yeah. About Norbert's uh, Tarantino comment. And so I had to, I had to think about Steiger and Pat, who am I thinking of? Who am I thinking of? I don't have a clue. Oh, Tarantino, Brad Pitt. Oh, oh, yeah. uh, Glorious Aldo, Bastards. Yeah, Aldo Ray. Aldo Ray. Yeah. yeah, yeah. It's kind of there's a little bit of that. I, there was a little bit of Aldo Ray there, you know. <laughs> so, you know, I thought it the did. accents were very minimal in this. I I know what you're saying, but I I don't agree a hundred percent. I think the <laughs> accents were no. Very I'm minimal. just just making a comment to I see where. I see where this this could have easily been an influence on Tarantino. That's that's what I'm I'm back in Norbert on that, right? So With that's the all I'm doing. No, 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 no. With that, I mean, when when Tarantino's talking about about his character, who's what's he telling him to watch? You know, what is he? Who is he telling him this character is? You know, and and so who is he? Who's he given? You know, him to to go after and and you know, method, Foghorn you know, Leghorn. <laughs> I think that, uh, about the the small town guy that was at the at the, was it tractor not uh, international uh, sales. Oh, the mayor. When he's talking to yeah, the mayor. Yeah. When he's talking to the to Steiger's character, one of the things I thought about was nice is they they use the sort of raw politic how politics really work kind of idea. Well, we'll just put it either he solves it or. He doesn't, and we can pin it on very, I mean, they didn't have to put that in there, but it made sense, and it worked the plot, and it also worked how, how politicians really are. Well, and later they referred to the power of that individual to control the chief's job. You know, they were talking about the the rich plantation owner guy. He's like, well, you let that happen, so your, your days are numbered. You know, that's the mayor telling this guy that this other guy is going to make the mayor fire the chief, you know, so... Yeah, and it's it's and and that's and that's another real dynamic. I mean, 
you don't go after after the rich benefactor unless you have the goods because if you don't you don't what's the old saying if you don't knock off the king then you're in trouble that's a very uh that's a realistic thing to happen how friggin' real it was i mean all the characters are believable story is obviously believable you know it, it it's almost like a true detective movie only with all the social interactions thrown in yeah it it, it totally strikes me it's almost <clears throat> in some ways it and, and something that that it felt like almost a document a, a really high-end documentary almost no there's no need for willing suspension of disbelief at any point one other thing that i noticed in this film as i'm watching sydney portier the contrast of the nervous energy but they also the physiques like rod steiger is short and kind of uh stout and and uh um Sidney Portier's tall, lean, lanky, uh, impeccably dressed. Steiger barely buttons up his like shirt. A slob, yeah, like his boot. The way his I, I know it's a ridiculous thing to say. The way his boots clunked when he walked <laughs> drove me crazy. I know that's ridiculous, but I'm like, man, who dressed this guy? You know, <laughs> and he can't even get his sunglasses on straight. Oh, oh. no, that was bugging me. Well, but is that that tilting it down for the light? You know, like he had he had the sunglasses on, but was he tilting them down to keep the reflections off the camera? Well, because it's not... they were they actually <laughs> it was angled the... on his head. Though. Yeah, that's what well, I was yeah. saying. It was well, and they were very <laughs> conscious of reflections because you know in the cinematography, uh, I don't remember what character we were looking at, but I think we were in maybe the chief's office. No, we were in during the <laughs> autopsy, and the chief was leaned on the on the bookshelf that had the glass face, and Sidney Portier is doing his performance in the reflection of the window. In the reflection, and that was really, oh, really, yeah. you know. So they're both on screen at the same time. That kind of experimental stuff. That was cool. That's a yeah. that's a good that's a good notice. So what do you think of Lee Grant? What about her performance? She was the widow, right? She's the reason why he stayed in town. And it seemed like when uh, when that was, you know, that point was made, that was pretty much we were done with her. Sure, sure. We went to get like the alibi, and that was about it. Yeah. So. No, I, I think her performance was pretty damn good. I, I, it, it was a little, I don't know, strange isn't the word, but, um, and I, I suppose it might have been an, a natural reaction with some people, but she was more enraged about finding the killer than being distraught over her husband being dead. Uh, yeah. But that might have been a reaction, you know, hiding from you know oh my husband's dead kind of thing you know what i mean well uh, and i think i think i wonder too don did that play a is that another layer of that of that social difference right so this is not only are we we somebody you know to some term somebody used earlier affluent but then we're also now from the north right we're from a completely different universe and this place was so alien to her it was yeah. almost like a reaction she was like because i remember it was really powerful she's like what kind of place is this you know she's like where the hell am i you know it was really i thought that was kind of cool because i think she was reacting to exactly what you just said don my husband's just killed and this is what you guys choose to talk about yeah. you know so that kind of thing yeah but i thought you know given given what you just said i think her performance is pretty spot on on mm -hmm. I think it's a kind of, I mean, obviously uh, she's working through the, what the, what's on the page, uh, the script, 
she could i mean i think i could see that going a little bit different you know in terms of how they did how they put it together but i didn't i didn't find you know it's one of those things where you go i don't get that one at all i didn't i didn't think about it like that now for me she didn't jump out at me i mean she's obviously uh, a beautiful actress and it almost like with the guy that she was with it's like oh well he, okay i he had money. money he was powerful yeah <laughs> It, was, yeah. it reminded yeah. me that con with the with Batman who had like a bat was a Batmobile or Bat cycle and he had he had this girlfriend slash wife slash significant other that was dressed as Catwoman and when I looked at that all I could think of uh, we all was like saying the same thing uh, she's with him because he's got money yeah <laughs> well you know and actually that's what i thought about the that's one thing i thought was very interesting about that role we don't have a lot of female characters in that movie we have basically two and uh one is just you know it's kind of a you know an easy you know she seemed maybe she wasn't that easy but and how long had she been uh dressing like that or not dressing like that to uh to get a war war notes character i don't know but We've got her, who's kind of a kind of a floozy like, although I don't in the long run, I don't think she really was. And then we have Lee Grant, who is basically she's a stationed woman. She has a place in life. And she uh, she now it seemed to me that now I felt that her husband was gone. She was every bit as in charge of that company as anybody else was. She seemed very powerful. And she was very decisive. And I thought that was interesting. And like you guys have mentioned, there's, you know, that's another layer in, into this, uh, into the people that we've run into. Well, I, I thought it was really interesting because, for, you know, from her being from Chicago, it was really influential on, because I, I really think that as much as she could for that time in history, she looked at. Sidney Portier is an equal because he was obviously far more civilized and debonair than anybody else in the town, you know? Absolutely. I, I thought yeah. they were a little bit ambiguous about that at first. Cause I wondered it was, and I thought that was some interesting <clears throat> development right there. When, when he's trying to help her sit or whatever kind, he reaches out to her and she recoils. That turns out to be, I thought later to be just a, a natural reaction, you know, to her emotional state, not his color. Right, I, not his race. And yeah. then but it, it was kind of ambiguous. And then you have that moment that's that's where she does allow, you know, him to touch her. She even like takes his hand at one point, you know. So uh, uh that was kind of cool. That was that was that was some neat just you know layering. Even when she's there and Rod Steiger and Sidney Poitier are arguing, she's chastising both of them. You know, she's mm -hmm. chastising everybody that's in listening distance. Sure, you know. It's not just a black or white thing. It's just, you guys are idiots. What are you doing? My husband was just killed. Yeah. Which, you know, she, and again, I think that's part of, I'm treating everybody equally. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. You all are idiots at this point. <laughs> yeah. Well, I, I, a couple of things that struck me is, I, for me, the most powerful part of the whole, whole movie is is one that Michael referenced earlier was the when he slap uh, uh, when Sidney Portier slapped Endicott the rich white plantation or owner and he 
And then what's his name? Steiger said to him, well, you're just like us. And I took it as if you are a affluent northerner and you think you're better than us. We have the same problem because we think we're better than you. Hmm. Or you could go down that line of thinking. It could be, I mean, there's other meanings that you could attach to it, but that's the first thing that I thought when I when I heard that. Well, I, I kind of put the, the, the connotation to it that because of how Endicott treated Tibbs, you know, e- even after it was obvious that Tibbs was well-educated and a person of affluence and, and uh, of pretty high sophistication, he still treated him as a, an inferior and and I think that brought a lot of ire out of Tibbs. And I think, you know, Tibbs' hatred for Endicott, which was obvious, which is why he's so aggressively going after him. I think that's what the, the, the sheriff or the chief was talking about is, you know, you're just as prejudiced as oh, we are. Oh, yeah, sure, sure. <laughs> you know, you know and, uh, so for me, I wouldn't say prejudice, but... But yeah, I think you're right. But I think you could also say you're just you're no better than we are as in as far as nice. yeah. slap, slap somebody. Well, mm-hmm. and tell me, I don't know how anybody else about that scene, but I, well, I mean, I'm, you know, the when the one guy so they they go through the slap and that's powerful and they have that stare down. And he says, he says, you saw what happened. Yes, I did. What are you yeah. going to do about it? And I just wanted I what I wanted to be as as the you know, armchair screenwriter. I wanted him to say, there's nothing to be done. You know, like the, like that, it looked like that transaction's finished to me, you know? So, you know, I wanted that payoff and not that kind of, I don't know, you know, so. Well, the scary thing about that to me was, you know, when they talk about it later and say, you know, if, if it had been this other person, if it had been another sheriff, he'd have shot him on the spot. Sure. And, and honestly, um, that's what was shocking to me. I think that the character, Steiger's character, was kind of wrestling with what he should do because Endicott ran the town. Sure. And yeah. he knew how important that 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 a new uh, company was going to be. Well, that was the challenge posed to him by the mayor. You know, he's like, when did you change your mind about him? He's like, yeah. I'm not sure I have. He said, well, obviously you did because you didn't shoot him, you know. Yeah, so. exactly. I, I never said, but I, I, I'm not a huge fan of this movie. Um uh, mostly because I really hate that period of time. I think it's a very effective movie, but I don't think I have to enjoy it. I mean, you know what I'm saying? I I looked at that and I thought, what really sucks about that movie is that's not even close to... The truth is he probably would have been killed. He probably would have been run out on a rail or, you know, the, uh, the Poitier character. It was horrible back then. And especially in Mississippi. And that's a really, I don't know. I, I understand what they were saying with the movie and I appreciate that, but what an ugly time. Oh yeah. There's no doubt about it. And I, and it wasn't that long ago. No, it's in all but my lifetime of this group. 67. Yeah. I was, uh, I was uh, three when it came out, two or three. Red, and, I, and I may have told the group this before, but I'll repeat it. Um, when I was growing up during that period, and even in, up through 
until I went in the Navy in, in 72, there was a building, a, a, a small laundromat at 17th and Poplar. The building is still there. And in the window, there was a sign that said whites only, you know, and as a real young kid, you know, when my mom would drive past that and I was riding in the car, I'd read that. The thought always, every time I drove by, I go, well, how freaking stupid is that to have a laundromat where you can only white, wash white clothes? Yeah. And, uh, you know, it wasn't until, you know, I was in my early teens that uh, I realized what the hell that was really all about, uh, um, you know, 67, 68. I'm going, holy shit. I can't believe that this place hasn't been burned to the ground. But you're right. Every time, you know, there would have been a good chance. And obviously they showed it in a film that they were going to try and murder him. Yeah. So, yeah, I think I think that one of the things that people, you know, there's there's power in the propaganda of films. And I don't mean this in a bad way. No, I get But that by having this and it wasn't a whitewashing. It wasn't, you know, quite what was the movie with uh, Willem Dafoe, the Mississippi. Mississippi uh, Yeah. But I felt like it was something that if you was a family in the seventies and you, you know, you was just sort of not, not in the deep South or not in a, you know, in, in an urban area, this could make you think. And so it could actually move the needle. And at, for me watching it, I, I appreciate the craft that was put into it. And uh, the screenwriting was uh, I thought it was really well. It was. Bit, I haven't read. I, I I haven't read the book, but it was based on a book. I know. I saw that. I've seen that. Well, I can appreciate. Somebody mentioned earlier just kind of the simplicity of the main <clears throat> main plot and the murder mystery. I think you know, in some of the stuff that I've been that I'm you know studying, it's it's definitely smart to use familiarity because the audience doesn't have to be paying attention to the mystery. The mystery is going to plot along. That's just a familiar path that we're, we're all going to take together. And that gives the, and it's interesting, it's compelling and it moves the story forward, but it allows that addition, that additional layering, you know, uh, to, to occur because the audience isn't distracted, but with the, the main plot anyway, you know, so, and I think that was, I think that was a very clever, presentation to talk about some very real social issues at the time to to the point about the you know um that power of film so well and really that's this film was a uh it's more of a social commentary than an actual murder mystery because really very loose the the mystery or these uh the the crime was very loose and they would uh basically there would be more social commentary and then they would kind of bring out something about the um what's going on with the crime so yeah, it, I, I looked this up because I when I look at Mississippi, and I'm thinking 67. It was 62 when James Meredith was uh, brought in to, um, he was the first student admitted to uh, the segregated University of Mississippi. And that's where they had, they actually had a uh, National Guard that went to school with him every day. And the riots every night and people died in these. And this was Mississippi. And what, what a horrible time, what a horrible time. But, but not only that, what a horrible place it's rough when you think about that history. And sometimes I have a problem with uh, fictional stories, but you know, the film was done well. Sidney Poitier just had something when he acted, there's something amazing when, what he, how he portrays the character. The other thing I noticed about Sidney Poitier too, was his vocal attenuation, I guess you would say how he could be very quiet 
and he could uh, he can bring out his words long. You know, he can uh, stress his words, and then he sometimes he he talks very choppy. So he's really kind of he's got a real uh, neat way of act uh, that I've that I've not seen before. He pulls you in because he he can do he he got can get away with something that most people can't do, and that is <clears throat> he can do minimal uh, movement and facial expressions. But when he turns the screws and really like emotes with his eye, with his eyes or something, you're already drawn in. There's something about him that there's a charisma about him that you're already in when he does the thing. Like when you could tell his just contempt. He didn't say anything, but his contempt for Gillespie. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, for everybody. But even before that, you could, you know, you could, there's some, he has, you know, he's a movie star. He well, has charisma. There's yes, a reason why he's, you know, where he was at in those films. Well, think of what, when he, when they introduce him in the film, I'm not sure he says a word in that initial scene in the train station. He might, but it wasn't much. No, it wasn't much and at it, all. It, it was, it was, I mean, we went through a range of emotions with him. It's like, it's like, what, what the hell? Oh, are you serious? Oh, oh, it's like that. Oh, you want to kill me now? You know, and you could just, it was that subtlety of his pacing. You know, there was a, just his movement, his ability to move us through time and his emotions during that scene. I I don't, I challenge you to find another actor can do that. You know, that was brilliant. Well, you know, and and you look at the picture and, you know, there's no wonder, you know, it won what, five Academy Awards. Oh, did it? Wow. And, uh, my question I pose to everybody is, do you think Denzel Washington watched every Sydney? Yes, play? I was. Oh, no, <laughs> you knocked it out of the park. Because when, when Norbert was talking about, you know, he was talking about cadence and biting words and, and you know, giving those different performances that, that ranged really wide. The I was thinking about watching Denzel Washington in different performances that he's done over the years. And Denzel's, Denzel's performance is his, of course. But yes, there's a, there's a certain familiarity and style that's definitely being paid homage to i think there yeah i would 100 percent agree with that yeah because yeah, if, if you watch either of uh denzel's equalizer movies i'm going you know there's Vir- virgil tibbs right there he's not as restrained as as uh, uh but i i, I, think I can see i see what you're saying though he there is an understate i think both of them have less like fire underneath of them that you know it's like they see, let you see a little bit of flame every once in a while, and then they can, you know, like a, a torch, just turn it up and down. But another thing that really struck me about this movie is the sort of almost cartoon-ish characters they have in the supporting cast. Oh, yeah. I, I don't think I can think of another movie off the top of my head that is anywhere based on reality where I see as many exaggerated-looking characters. It just that struck me. I don't I don't I can't think of like, especially nowadays, you know, I just I can't think of a movie that had this many exaggerated looking characters. <laughs> Deliverance. <laughs> 1970s, right? Yeah. Norbert, I was thinking I was really thinking the exact same thing when I was starting to watch this movie, how over the top these were and how they really show there was really this stark difference between, you know, these white kind of, and I don't want to say Neanderthals because I don't want to put down Neanderthals, but um, <laughs> these, you know, these just really simpletons and uh, and then how uh, clever and smart that um, 
the Sydney Poitier character was. And but I, I'm sadly I I kind of feel and I don't know I kind of feel like they might have they might have been like they may have been those they may have been real dollars then especially with that stuff because not only was was the um, Ray Steiger character I mean of course like all the white people there he was a racist but not only that he was i don't think he he didn't seem smart he didn't seem very he took his deputy or whoever that guy was and said oh he had money so therefore and this girl came in and said this is you know this is this and he didn't even question it you know and this is a guy that he knew and he'd been with for a while and should known from i would have thought you know just on that alone he would have said look he would have thought about it, but no, he didn't think about it at all. He was like, "Yep, that fits. It's got to be him." Well, I think I part of that, that is a. Go ahead, Norbert. I was just going to say he. I thought he wanted to get rid of Tibbs and solve the case and move on. And I thought I, what he was doing was trying to second guess Tibbs' investigation and beat Tibbs to the punch. He thought that's where Tibbs was going, and so he went there first. That's kind of the the vibe I got. Oh yeah, where he was question doing all the questioning of the the path that they was going. Sure. Yeah. 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 Yeah, definitely could have been. He's like, ha-ha, beat you to it-ish with your own information. Thank you. <laughs> hey, I'm smart, too. The FBI was a lot faster back then, though, I got to say. Um, I think Tibbs was in that town like three days or something, maybe four. So, I mean, the FBI was faster in that movie than they are on CSI. I just want to point that out there. <laughs> it, it, you know, 2000. 12 or whatever you know here's what i wonder is how accurate though as getting to point pat's point most uh detectives especially or sheriffs or whatever in smaller towns would be basically like that you know obviously now less on the racism but not you know jet fuel uh infused uh mental faculties <laughs> um I have a story about that. <laughs> in the um, late 70s, uh, 60 Minutes did an uh, investigation in uh, Louisiana, south of I-10, which is basically Mississippi with better food. And what the, this one county was known for was virtually any out-of-state car that drove on I-10 was going to get pulled over and ticketed for some ridiculous made-up infraction. And so CBS rented a Cadillac and put a camera in the front and the back of it, driving straight Leighton Mirror down uh, I-10, and they get pulled over by this Louisiana cop who could have been any one of the cops. They pulled this caddy over, and the, and the, the charges that they were weaving in the lane when the cameras actually show that it's driving in a perfectly straight line. And they side him, and they go to court, and every cop, you know, the p- chief of police for this little hick town is there. It's the cast from this fucking movie. all right on that note i'm gonna run out it was a great i I enjoyed this conversation so absolutely well cool thanks for uh, being here norbert hey bow out also it was great talking to uh mr mike moore please (laughs) join us again uh okay Sure. Yes, I, I, I will be glad to. So, yeah. Yeah, because we have no idea where you are, what you're doing. In fact, we don't even know for sure it's you. It could be <laughs> a bot. <laughs> yeah, the Michael bot. <laughs>
All right. Well, I think we're all going to take off. So uh, you guys have a good evening. Good to see uh, y'all. Thanks, Pat. thanks yeah. Pat, for doing this. Yeah, it was cool. I see enjoyed it. Later, guys. Later, guys. Thanks for hanging out with us on the True Fiction Podcast. If you like what you've heard, please visit us at Facebook. You can also leave us a review on iTunes or through your favorite podcast app. Until next time, stay true and stay creative. You're too late.